Section 5 of Hans Christian Andersen, Fairy Tales and Short Stories, Volume 5, 1860-1865. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hans Christian Andersen, Fairy Tales and Short Stories, Volume 5, 1860-1865, by Hans Christian Andersen, translated by H. P. Paul. A Story from the Sandhills, Part 2 As they were walking together one day, Jürgen held her hand very firmly in his, and she said to him, Jürgen, I have something I want to say to you. Let me be your manager, for you are like a brother to me. But Martin, whose housekeeper I am, he is my lover. But you need not tell this to the others. It seemed to Jürgen as if the loose sand was giving way under his feet. He did not speak a word, but nodded his head, and that meant yes. It was all that was necessary, but he suddenly felt in his heart that he hated Martin, and the more he thought, the more he felt convinced that Martin had stolen away from him, the only being he ever loved, and this was Elsa. He had never thought of Elsa in this way before, but now it all became plain to him. When the sea is rather rough, and the fishermen are coming home in their great boats, it is wonderful to see how they cross the reefs. One of them stands upright in the bow of the boat, and the others watch him sitting with the oars in their hands. Outside the reef it looks as if the boat was not approaching land, but going back to sea. Then the man who's standing up gives them the signal that the great wave is coming, which is to float them across the reef. The boat is lifted high into the air, so that the keel is seen from the shore. The next moment nothing can be seen. Mast, keel, and people are all hidden. It seems as though the sea had devoured them. But in a few moments they emerge like a great sea animal climbing up the waves, and the oars move as if the creature had legs. The second and third reef are passed in the same manner. Then the fishermen jump into the water and push the boat towards the shore. Every wave helps them, and at length they have it drawn up beyond the reach of the breakers. A wrong order given in front of the reef, the slightest hesitation, and the boat would be lost. Then it would all be over with me and Martin, too. This thought passed through Jorgen's mind one day, whilst they were out at sea, where his foster-father had been taken suddenly ill. The fever had seized him. There were only a few oar-strokes from the reef, and Jorgen sprang from his seat and stood up in the boat. "'Father, let me come,' he said, and he glanced at Martin and across the waves. Every oar bent with the exertions of the rower as the great wave came towards them, and he saw his father's pale face and dared not obey the evil impulse that had shot through his brain. The boat came safely across the reef to land, but the evil thought remained in his heart, and roused up every little fibre of bitterness which he remembered between himself and Martin since they had known each other. But he could not wave the fibres together, nor did he endeavour to do so. He felt that Martin had robbed him, and this was enough to make him hate his former friend. Several of the fishermen saw this, but Martin did not. He remained as obliging and talkative as ever. In fact, he talked rather too much. Jorgen's foster-father took to his bed, and it became his deathbed, for he died a week afterwards, and now Jorgen was heir to the little house behind the sandhills. It was small, certainly, but still it was something, and Martin had nothing of the kind. You will not go to sea again, Jorgen, I suppose, observed one of the fishermen. You will always stay with us now. But this was not Jorgen's intention. He wanted to see something of the world. The evil breeder of Fjordring had an uncle at Old Skagen, who was a fisherman, but also a prosperous merchant with ships upon the sea. He was said to be a good old man, and it would not be a bad thing to enter his service. 
Old Skagen lies in the extreme north of Jutland, as far away from the Husby Dunes as one can travel in that country, and this is just what pleased Jürgen, for he did not want to remain till the wedding of Martin and Elsa, which would take place in a week or two. The old fisherman said it was foolish to go away, for now that Jürgen had a home, Elsa would very likely be inclined to take him instead of Martin. Jürgen gave such a vague answer that it was not easy to make out what he meant. The old man brought Elsa to him, and she said, You have a home now, you ought to think of that. And Jürgen thought of many things. The sea has heavy waves, but there are heavier waves in the human heart. Many thoughts, strong and weak, rushed through Jürgen's brain, and he said to Elsa, If Martin had a house like mine, which of us would you rather have? But Martin has no house and cannot get one. Suppose he had one. Well, then I would certainly take mine, for that is what my heart tells me. But one cannot live upon love. Jürgen turned these things over in his mind all night. Something was working within him. He hardly knew what it was, but it was even stronger than his love for Elsa. And so he went to Martin's, and what he said and did there was well considered. He let the house to Martin on most liberal terms, saying that he wished to go to sea again, because he loved it. And Elsa kissed him when she heard of it, for she loved Martin best. Jürgen proposed to start early in the morning, and on the evening before his departure, when it was already getting rather late, he felt a wish to visit Martin once more. He started, and among the dunes met the old fisherman, who was angry at his leaving the place. The old man made jokes about Martin, and he declared there must be some magic about that fellow, of whom the girls were so fond. Jürgen did not pay any attention to his remarks, but said goodbye to the old man, and went on towards the house where Martin dwelt. He heard loud talking inside. Martin was not alone, and this made Jürgen waver in his determination, for he did not want to see Elsa again. On second thoughts, he decided that it was better not to hear any more thanks from Martin, and so he turned back. On the following morning, before the sun rose, he fastened his knapsack on his back, took his wooden provision box in his hand, and went away among the sand hills towards the coast path. This way was more pleasant than the heavy sand road, and besides, it was shorter and he intended to go first to Fjultring, near Bovbjerg, where the eel breeder lived, to whom he had promised a visit. The sea lay before him, clear and blue, and the mussel shells and pebbles, the playthings of his childhood, crunched over his feet. While he thus walked on, his nose suddenly began to bleed. It was a trifling occurrence, but trifles sometimes are of great importance. A few large drops of blood fell upon one of his sleeves. He wiped them off and stopped the bleeding and it seemed to him as if this had cleared and lightened his brain. The sea kale bloomed here and there in the sand as he passed. He broke off a spray and stuck it in his hat. He determined to be merry and light-hearted, for he was going out into the wide world. A little way out, beyond the bay, as the young eels had said, beware of bad people who will catch you, and skin you, and put you in the frying pan. He repeated this in his mind, and smiled, for he thought he should find his way through the world. Good courage is a strong weapon. The sun was high in the heavens when he approached the narrow entrance to Nissan Bay. He looked back and saw a couple of horsemen galloping a long distance behind him, and there were other people with them, but this did not concern him. The ferry boat was on the opposite side of the bay. Jürgen called the ferryman, and the latter came over with his boat. Jürgen stepped in, but before he had got halfway across, the men whom he had seen riding so hastily came up, hailed the ferryman and commanded him to return in the name of the law. Jürgen did not understand the reason of this, 
but he thought it would be best to turn back, and therefore he himself took an oar and returned. As soon as the boat touched the shore, the men sprang on board, and before he was aware of it, they had bound his hands with a rope. This wicked deed will cost you your life, they said. It is a good thing we have caught you. He was accused of nothing less than murder. Martin had been found dead, with his throat cut. One of the fishermen, late on the previous evening, had met with Jürgen going towards Martin's house. This was not the first time Jürgen had raised his knife against Martin, so they felt sure that he was the murderer. The prison was in a town at a great distance, and the wind was contrary for going there by sea, but it would not take half an hour to get across the bay, and another quarter of an hour would bring them to Nora Vosburg, the great castle with ramparts and moat. One of Jürgen's captors was a fisherman, a brother of the keeper of the castle, and he said it might be managed that Jürgen should be placed for the present in the dungeon at Vosburg, where Long Martyr the gypsy had been shut up till her execution. They paid no attention to Jürgen's defence. The few drops of blood on his shirt sleeve bore heavy witness against him. But he was conscious of his innocence, and as there was no chance of clearing himself at present, he submitted to his fate. The party landed just at the place where Sir Bugas Castle had stood, and where Jürgen had walked with his foster parents after the burial feast, during the four happiest days of his childhood. He was led by the well-known path over the meadow to Vosper. Once more the elders were in bloom, and the lofty lime trees gave forth sweet fragrance, and it seemed as if it were but yesterday that he had last seen the spot. In each of the two wings of the castle there was a staircase which led to a place below the entrance, from whence there is access to a low vaulted cellar. In this dungeon Long Marta had been in prison, and from here she was led away to the scaffold. She had eaten the hearts of five children, and had imagined that if she could obtain two more, she would be able to fly and make herself invisible. In the middle of the roof of the cellar, there was a little narrow air hole, but no window. The flowering lime trees could not breathe refreshing fragrance into that abode, where everything was dark and mouldy. There was only a rough bench in the cell, but a good conscience as a soft pillow, and therefore Jürgen could sleep well. The thick oaken door was locked and secured on the outside by an iron bar, but the goblin of superstition can creep through a keyhole into a baron's castle just as easily as it can into a fisherman's cottage. And why should he not creep in here, where Jürgen sat thinking of Long Marta and her wicked deeds? Her last thoughts on the night before her execution had filled this place, and the magic that tradition asserted to have been practised here, in Sir Svan Weidel's time, came into Jürgen's mind and made him shudder. But a sunbeam, a refreshing thought from without, penetrated his heart even here. It was the remembrance of the flowering elder and the sweet-smelling lime trees. He was not left there long. They took him away to the town of Rinkubing, where he was imprisoned with equal severity. Those times were not like ours. The common people were treated harshly, and it was just after the days when the farms were converted into knights' estates, when coachmen and servants were often made magistrates, and had power to sentence a poor man for a small offence, to lose his property and to corporal punishment. Judges of this kind were still to be found, and in Jutland, so far from the capital and from the enlightened, well-meaning head of the government, the law was still very loosely administered sometimes. The smallest grievance Jürgen could expect was that his case should be delayed. His dwelling was cold and comfortless, and how long would he be obliged to bear all this? It seemed his fate to suffer misfortune and sorrow innocently. He now had plenty of time to reflect on the difference of fortune on earth, and to wonder why this fate had been allotted to him. Yet he felt sure that all would be made clear in the next life, 
the existence that awaits us when this life is over. His faith had grown strong in the poor fisherman's cottage, the light which had never shone into his father's mind, in all the richness and the sunshine of Spain, was sent to him to be his comfort in poverty and distress, a sign of that mercy of God which never fails. The spring storms began to blow. The rolling and moaning of the North Sea could be heard for miles inland when the wind was blowing, and then it sounded like the rushing of a thousand wagons over a hard road with a mine underneath. Jürgen heard these sounds in his prison, and it was a relief to him. No music could have touched his heart as did these sounds of the sea, the rolling sea, the boundless sea, on which a man can be borne across the world before the wind, carrying his own house with him wherever he goes, just as the snail carries its home even into a strange country. He listened eagerly to its deep murmur, and then the thought arose. Free, free, how happy to be free, even barefooted and in ragged clothes. Sometimes when such thoughts crossed his mind, the fiery nature rose within him, and he beat the wall with his clenched fists. Weeks, months, a whole year had gone by, when Niels the thief, called also a horse-stealer, was arrested, and our better times came, and it was seen that Jürgen had been wrongly accused. On the afternoon before Jürgen's departure from home, and before the murder, Niels the thief had met Martin at a beer house in the neighbourhood of Rinkibing. A few glasses were drank, not enough to cloud the brain, but enough to loosen Martin's tongue. He began to boast and to say that he had obtained a house and intended to marry, and when Niels asked him where he was going to get the money, he slapped his pocket proudly and said, The money is here, where it ought to be. This boast cost him his life, for when he went home, Niels followed him and cut his throat, intending to rob the murdered man of the gold, which did not exist. All this was circumstantially explained, but it is enough for us to know that Jürgen was set free. But what compensation did he get for having been imprisoned a whole year and shut out from all communication with his fellow creatures? They told him he was fortunate in being proved innocent and that he might go. The burgomaster gave him two dollars for travelling expenses, and many citizens offered him provisions and beer. There were still good people. They were not all hard and pitiless. But the best thing of all was that the merchant Brauner of Skagen, into whose service Jürgen had proposed entering the year before, was just at that time on business in the town of Rinkubik. Brauner had heard the whole story. He was kind-hearted and understood what Jürgen must have felt and suffered. Therefore, he made up his mind to make it up to the poor lad and convince him that there were still kind folk in this world. So Jürgen went forth from prison as if to paradise, to find freedom, affection, and trust. He was to travel this path now, for no goblet of life is all bitterness. No good man would pour out such a draught for his fellow man. And how should he do it, who is love personified? Let everything be buried and forgotten, said Brana, the merchant. Let us draw a thick line through last year. We will even burn the almanac. In two days we will start for dear, friendly, peaceful Skagen. People call it an out-of-the-way corner, but it is a good warm chimney corner, and its windows open toward every part of the world. What a journey that was. It was like taking fresh breath out of the cold dungeon air into the warm sunshine. The heather bloomed in pride and beauty, and the shepherd boy sat on a barrow and blew his pipe, which he had carved for himself out of a sheep bone. Fata Morgana, the beautiful aerial phenomenon of the wilderness, appeared with hanging gardens and waving forests, and the wonderful cloud called Lukwin driving his sheep also was seen. Up towards Skagen they went, through the land of the Wendels, whence the men with long beards, the Longobardi or Lombards, had emigrated in the reign of King Sneer, when all the children and old people were to have been killed, 
till the noble dame Gambaruk proposed that the young people should emigrate. Jorgen knew all this, he had some little knowledge, and although he did not know the land of the Lombards beyond the lofty Alps, he had an idea that it must be there, for in his boyhood he had been in the south, in Spain. He thought of the plenteousness of the southern fruit, of the red pomegranate flowers, of the humming, buzzing, and toiling in the great beehive of the city he had seen. But home is the best place after all, and Jürgen's home was Denmark. At last they arrived in Vendeskoga, as Skagen is called in old Norwegian and Icelandic writings. At that time all Skagen, with the eastern and western town, extended for miles, with sand hills and arable land as far as the lighthouse near Grenen. Then, as now, the houses were strewn among the wind-raised sand hills, a wilderness in which the wind sports with the sand, and where the voice of the seagull and wild swan strikes harshly on the ear. In the southwest, a mile from Grenen, lies Old Skagen. Merchant Bronner dwelt here, and this was also to be Jürgen's home for the future. The dwelling house was tarred, and all the small outbuildings had been put together from pieces of wreck. There was no fence, for indeed there was nothing to fence in except the long rows of fishes which were hung upon lines, one above the other, to dry in the wind. The entire coast was strewn with spoiled herrings, for there were so many of these fish that a net was scarcely thrown into the sea before it was filled. They were caught by carloads, and many of them were either thrown back into the sea or left to die on the beach. The old man's wife and daughter and his servants also came to meet him with great rejoicing. There was a great squeezing of hands and talking and questioning, and the daughter, what a sweet face and bright eyes she had. The inside of the house was comfortable and roomy. Fritters, that a king would have looked upon as a dainty dish, were placed on the table, and there was wine from the Skagen vineyard, that is, the sea. For there the grapes come ashore, ready-pressed and prepared in barrels and in bottles. When the mother and daughter heard who Jürgen was, and how innocently he had suffered, they looked at him in a still more friendly way, and pretty Clara's eyes had a look of a special interest as she listened to his story. Jürgen found a happy home in Old Skagen. It did his heart good, for it had been sorely tired. He had drunk the bitter goblet of love which softens or hardens the heart, according to circumstances. Jürgen's heart was still soft. It was young, and therefore it was a good thing that Miss Clara was going in three weeks' time to Christiansund in Norway, in her father's ship, to visit an aunt and to stay there the whole winter. On the Sunday before she went away, they all went to church, to the Holy Communion. The church was large and handsome, and had been built centuries before by Scotchmen and Dutchmen. It stood some little way out of the town. It was rather ruinous, certainly, and the road to it was heavy, through deep sand, but the people gladly surmounted these difficulties to get to the house of God, to sing psalms and to hear the sermon. The sand had heaped itself up around the walls of the church, but the graves were kept free from it. It was the largest church north of Lymphjordan. The Virgin Mary, with a golden crown on her head and the child Jesus in her arms, stood lifelike on the altar. The holy apostles had been carved in the choir, and on the walls there were portraits of the old burgomasters and councillors of Skagen. The pulpit was of carved work. The sun shone brightly into the church, and its radiance fell on the polished brass chandelier and on the little ship that hung from the vaulted roof. Jürgen felt overcome by a holy childlike feeling, like that which possessed him when, as a boy, he stood in the splendid Spanish cathedral. But here the feeling was different, for he felt conscious of being one of the congregation. After the sermon followed Holy Communion. He partook of the bread and wine, and it so happened that he knelt by the side of Miss Clara. 
but his thoughts were so fixed upon heaven and the holy sacrament that he did not notice his neighbour until he rose from his knees and then he saw how tears were rolling down her cheeks she left skargen and went to norway two days later he remained behind and made himself useful on the farm and at the fishery he went out fishing and in those days fish were more plentiful and larger than they are now the shoals of the mackerel glittered in the dark nights and indicated where they were swimming the gurnard snarled and the crabs gave forth pitiful yells when they were chased for fish are not so mute as people say every sunday jurgen went to church and when his eyes rested on the picture of the virgin mary over the altar as he sat there they often glided away to the spot where they had knelt side by side autumn came and brought rain and snow with it the water rose up right into the town of skargen the sand could not suck it all in one had to wade through it or go by boat the storms threw vessel after vessel on the fatal reefs there were snowstorm and sandstorms the sand flew up to the houses blocking the entrances so that people had to creep up through the chimneys that was nothing at all remarkable here it was pleasant and cheerful indoors where peat fuel and fragments of wood from the wrecks blazed and crackled upon the hearth merchant bronner read aloud from an old chronicle about prince hamlet of denmark who had come over from england landed near bovbjerg and fought a battle close by rama was his grave only a few miles from the place where the eel breeder lived hundreds of barrow rose from there from the heath forming as it were an enormous churchyard merchant bronner had himself been at hamlet's grave they spoke about old times and about their neighbours and the english and the scotch and jurgen sang the air of the king of england's son and of his splendid ship and its outfit in the hour of peril when most men fear he clasped the bride that he held so dear and proved himself the son of a king of his courage and valour let us sing this verse jorgen sang with so much feeling that his eyes beamed and they were black and sparkling since his infancy there was wealth comfort and happiness even among the domestic animals for they were all well cared for and well kept the kitchen looked bright with its copper and tin utensils and white plates and from the rafters hung hams beef and winter stores in plenty this can still be seen in many rich farms on the west coast of jutland plenty to eat and drink clean prettily decorated rooms active minds cheerful tempers and hospitality can be found there as in an arab's tent jurgen had never spent such a happy time since the famous burial feast and yet miss clara was absent except in the thoughts and memory of all in april a ship was to start for norway and jurgen was to sail in it he was full of life and spirits and looked so sturdy and well that dame bronner said it did her good to see him and it does one good to look at you also old wife said the merchant jurgen has brought fresh life into our winter evenings and into you too mother you look younger than ever this year and seem well and cheerful but then you were once the prettiest girl in Vibor and that is saying a great deal for i have always found the viborg girls the prettiest of any jurgen said nothing but he thought of a certain maiden of skargen whom he was to soon visit the ship set sail for christiansund in norway and as the wind was favourable it soon arrived there one morning merchant bronner went out to the lighthouse which stands a little way out of old skargen not far from grenham the light was out and the sun was already high in the heavens when he mounted the tower the sandbanks extend a whole mile from the shore. Beneath the water, outside these banks, many ships could be seen that day, and with the aid of his telescope, the old man thought he described his own ship, the Karen Bronner. Yes, certainly, there she was, 
Sailing homewards with Clara and Jürgen on board, Clara sat on deck and saw the sandhills gradually appearing in the distance. The church and lighthouse looked like a heron and a swan rising from the blue waters. If the wind held good, they might reach home in about an hour. So near they were to home and all its joys, so near to death and all its terrors. A plank in the ship gave way, and the water rushed in. The crew flew to the pumps and did their best to stop the leak. A signal of distress was hoisted, but they were still fully a mile from shore. Some fishing boats were in sight, but they were too far off to be of any use. The wind blew towards the land, the tide was in their favour, but it was all useless. The ship could not be saved. Jorgen threw his right arm around Clara and pressed her to him. With what a look she gazed up into his face, as with a prayer to God for help, he breasted the waves which rushed over the sinking ship. She uttered a cry, but she felt safe and certain that he would not leave her to sink. And in this hour of terror and danger, Jorgen felt as if the king's son did, and told in the old song, In the hour of peril when most men fear, he clasped the bride that he held so dear. How glad he felt that he was a good swimmer. He worked his way onward with his feet and one arm, while he held the young girl up firmly with the other. He rested on the waves, he trod the water, in fact did everything he could have in order not to fatigue himself and to reserve strength enough to reach land. He heard Clara sigh and felt her shudder convulsively, and he pressed her more closely to him. Now and then a wave rolled over them, the current lifted them, the water, although deep, was so clear that for a moment he imagined he saw the shoals of mackerel glittering, or Leviathan himself ready to swallow them. Now the clouds cast a shadow over the water. Then again came the playing sunbeams. Flocks of loudly screaming birds passed over him, and the plump and lazy wild ducks which allow themselves to be drifted by the waves rose up terrified at the sight of the swimmer. He began to feel his strength decreasing, but he was only a few cable lengths distance from the shore, and help was coming, for a boat was approaching him. At this moment he distinctly saw a white staring figure under the water. A wave lifted him up, and he came nearer to the figure. He felt a violent shock, and everything became dark around him. On the sand reef lay the wreck of a ship, which was covered with water at high tide. The white figure head rested against the anchor, the sharp iron edge of which rose just above the surface. Jürgen had come in contact with this. The tide had driven him against it with great force. He sank down, stunned with the blow, but the next wave lifted him and the young girl up again. Some fishermen coming with a boat seized them and dragged them into it. The blood streamed down over Jürgen's face. He seemed dead, but still held the young girl so tightly that they were obliged to take her from him by force. She was pale and lifeless. They laid her in the boat and rowed as quickly as possible to the shore. They tried every means to restore Clara to life, but it was all of no avail. Jürgen had been swimming for some distance with a corpse in his arms, and had exhausted his strength for one who was dead. Jürgen still breathed, so the fisherman carried him to the nearest house upon the sandhills, where a smith and a general dealer lived who knew something of surgery, and bound up Jürgen's wounds in a temporary way until a surgeon could be obtained from the nearest town the next day. The injured man's brain was affected, and in his delirium he uttered wild cries, but on the third day he lay quiet and weak upon his bed. His life seemed to hang by a thread, and the physician said it would be better for him if this thread broke. Let us pray that God may take him, he said, for he will never be the same man again. But life did not depart from him. The thread would not break, but the thread of memory was severed. 
the thread of his mind had been cut through and what was still more grievous a body remained a living healthy body that wandered about like a troubled spirit jurgen remained in merchant brana's house he was hurt while endeavouring to save our child said the old man and now he is our son people called jurgen insane but that was not exactly the correct term he was like an instrument in which the strings are loose and will give no sound only occasionally they regained their power for a few minutes and then they sounded as they used to he would sing snatches of songs or old melodies pictures of the past would rise before him and then disappear in the midst as it were but as a general rule he sat staring into vacancy without a thought we may conjecture that he did not suffer but his dark eyes lost their brightness and looked like clouded glass poor mad jurgen said the people and this was the end of a life whose infancy was to have been surrounded with wealth and splendour had his parents lived all his great mental abilities had been lost nothing but hardship sorrow and disappointment had been his fate he was like a rare plant torn from its native soil and tossed upon the beach to wither there and this was one of god's creatures fashioned in his own likeness to have no better fate was he to be only the plaything of fortune no the all-loving creator would certainly repay him in the life to come for what he had suffered and lost here the lord is good to all and his mercy is over all his works the pious old wife of the merchant repeated these words from the psalms of david in patience and hope and the prayer of her heart was that jorgen might soon be called away to enter into eternal life in the churchyard where the walls were surrounded with sand clara lay buried jorgen did not seem to know this it did not enter his mind which could only retain fragments of the past every sunday he went to church with the old people and sat there silently staring vacantly before him one day when the psalms were being sung he sighed deeply and his eyes became bright they were fixed upon a place near the altar where he had knelt with his friend who was dead he murmured her name and became deadly pale and tears rolled down his cheeks they led him out of the church he told those standing round him that he was well and that he had never been ill he who had been so grievously afflicted the outcast thrown upon the world could not remember his sufferings the lord our creator is wise and full of loving kindness who can doubt him in spain where balmy breezes blow over the moorish cupolas and gently stir the orange and myrtle groves where singing and the sound of the castanets are always heard the richest merchant in the place a childless old man sat in a luxurious house while children marched in procession through the streets with waving flags and lighted tapers if he had been able to press his children to his heart his daughter or her child that had perhaps never seen the light of day far less the kingdom of heaven how much of his wealth would he not have given poor child yes poor child a child still yet more than thirty years old for jurgen had arrived at this age in old skagen the shifting sounds had covered the graves in the courtyard quite up to the church walls but still the dead must be buried among their relatives and the dear ones who had gone before them merchant bronner and his wife now rested with their children under the white sand it was in the spring the season of storms the sand from the dunes was whirled up in clouds the sea was rough and flocks of birds flew like clouds in the storm screaming across the sand hills shipwreck followed upon shipwreck on the reefs between olskagen and the husby dunes one evening jurgen sat in his room alone all at once his mind seemed to become clearer and a restless feeling came over him 
such as had often in his younger days driven him out to wander over the sandhills or on the hearth home home he cried no one heard him he went out and walked towards the dunes sand and stones blew into his face and whirled round him and he went in the direction of the church the sand was banked up the walls half covering the windows but it had been cleared away in front of the door and the entrance was free and easy to open so jurgen went into the church the storm raged over the town of Skagen. There had not been such a terrible tempest within the memory of the inhabitants, nor such a rough sea. But Jürgen was in the temple of God, and while the darkness of night reigned outside, a light arose in his soul that was never to depart from. The heavy weight that pressed on his brain burst asunder. He fancied he heard the organ, but it was only the storm and the moaning of the sea. He sat down on one of the seats, and lo, the candles were lighted one by one, and there was a brightness and grandeur such as he had only seen in the Spanish cathedral. The portraits of the old citizens became alive, stepped down from the walls against which they had hung for centuries, and took seats near the church door. The gates flew open, and all the dead people from the churchyard came in, and filled the church, while beautiful music sounded. Then the melody of the psalm burst forth, like the sound of the waters, and Jürgen saw that his foster parents from the Husby Dunes were there. Also old merchant Bronner with his wife and their daughter Clara, who gave him her hand. They both went up to the altar where they had knelt before, and the priests joined their hands and united them for life. The music was heard again. It was wonderfully sweet, like a child's voice, full of joy and expectation, swelling to the powerful tones of a full organ, sometimes soft and sweet, then like the sounds of a tempest, delightful and elevating to hear, yet strong enough to burst the stone tombs of the dead. Then the little ship that hung from the roof of the choir was let down, and looked wonderfully large and beautiful with its silken sails and rigging. The ropes were of silk, the anchor of gold, and everywhere riches and pomp untold, as the old song says. The young couple went on board, accompanied by the whole congregation, for there was room and enjoyment for them all. When the walls and arches of the church were covered with flowering junipers and lime trees, breathing forth fragrance, the branches waved, creating a pleasant coolness. They bent and parted, and the ship sailed between them through the air and over the sea. Every candle in the church became a star, and the winds sang a hymn in which they all joined. Through love to glory no life is lost. The future is full of blessings and happiness. Hallelujah. These were the last words Jürgen uttered into this world for the thread that bound his immortal soul was severed, and nothing but the dead body lay in the dark church, while the storm raged outside, covering it with loose sand. The next day was Sunday, and the congregation and their pastor went to the church. The road had always been heavy, but now it was almost unfit for use, and when they at last arrived at the church, a great heap of sand lay piled up in front of them. The whole church was completely buried in sand, the clergyman offered a short prayer and said that God had closed the door of his house here, and that the congregation must go and build a new one for him somewhere else. So they sung a hymn in the open air and went home again. Jürgen could not be found anywhere in the town of Skagen, nor on the dunes, though they searched for him everywhere. They came to the conclusion that one of the great waves, which had rolled far up on the beach, had carried him away, but his body lay buried in a great sepulchre, the church itself. The Lord had thrown down a covering for his grave during the storm, and the heavy mound of sand lies upon it to this day. The drifting sand had covered the vaulted roof of the church, the arched cloisters, and the stone aisles. 
The white thorn and the dog rose now blossom above the place where the church lies buried, but the spire, like an enormous monument over a grave, can be seen for miles round. No king has a more splendid memorial. Nothing disturbs the peaceful sleep of the dead. I was the first to hear this story, for the storm sung it to me among the sandhills. End of A Story from the Sandhills, Part 2 Recording by Harry Ramakrishnan from Bristol, England Feel free to follow me at bhramakrishnan, and for more information see harryramakrishnan.com.